0: Listen now to the story. It comes from Matthew's Gospel. I'm reading from chapter 2, and this story comes right after the birth of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, And then opening their treasure chests they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod they left for their own country by another road This is the word of the Lord I want to focus today this this day after Christmas on these wise men from the east these magi as they're known. Just to refresh your memory on this first Sunday after Christmas, first day after Christmas, Matthew chapter 1 gives us the good news of Jesus' birth. And Matthew's gospel doesn't include any shepherds in the field. It doesn't include any angels singing glory to God in the highest. That's only in Luke's gospel, as you might recall. Matthew's birth story is really direct and even quite simple. It's straight to the point. Mary, who has been engaged to Joseph, as the angel said, gave birth to a son who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary gave birth. His name was Jesus, Matthew says, for he was to save his people from their sins. That's the meaning of Jesus, the name. And, the, and as the prophet has said, according to Matthew 1, he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then we get to chapter 2. Straight to chapter 2 and the verses that you just heard me read. The first 12 verses verses. Chapter 1 is about the birth of the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. Chapter 2 is about how people will respond to the Savior's birth. In fact, right in the first verse of chapter 2, there are three characters. In the time of King Herod, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that's the second one, wise men came to Jerusalem asking, where is this king of the Jews who's been born? Three characters, really. Herod, Jesus, and the Magi. What happens to us when we learn of the Savior's birth? What happens to us when we hear the good news of the gospel, Emmanuel, God with us, that's what Matthew 2 is about. What happens? And that is the thought for today. What happens, indeed, what is our response to the good news of the gospel, the Savior's birth? Soren Kierkegaard is someone whose thoughts and writings have spoken deeply to my own heart across the years. And you may have heard me talk about Kierkegaard in various moments or sermons. He was a Danish philosopher, a theologian, and he was a very critical thinker who lived from 1813 to 1855 in Copenhagen. Kierkegaard was drawn deeply to the good news of the gospel, drawn deeply to the Christian faith, but he often wrote very critically of Christians, often wrote very critically of uh, the church. He recognized that the gospel, the good news of God, Emmanuel, and the steadfast faithfulness of God, the Ways of Jesus, the Word made flesh, proved so compelling and so engaging, yet Kierkegaard noted often how the gospel and even Jesus seemed to have very little or minimal effects on those people who call themselves Christians. He would be one of those who might say he was inspired by Christ, but not so much by Christians. In a short piece on the text for this day, Matthew 2, Kierkegaard recognizes and he celebrates this amazing response of the Magi from the East to the news of Christ's birth. These three kings only had a rumor, a rumor, Kierkegaard says, to go on. But the rumor moved them to make this long journey in search of the Savior. Kierkegaard notes that the Magi are in stark contrast in this passage, especially to the scribes who hang out in Jerusalem. The scribes, think about them. They are much better informed about this whole story. The scribes, think about them, they were experts on the scriptures. They were near to what had happened. They had the promises that this was going to happen, but none of that even made them move. Not an inch. The scribes just sat there with all their access, with all their knowledge, with all their proximity, and more. Yet the magi, who only had a rumor to go on, a rumor that a Savior had been born and some glimmer of light in the sky made the journey. They made the journey, the Magi, with openness, with attentiveness, with gifts in their hands, with worship in their hearts. They made the journey. Came asking and seeking to see and to greet this Savior. Savior of the world. This is part of why Kierkegaard is famous, because he's so taken with the gospel and how compelling it is and so critical of how many of us respond, perhaps too often, like the scribes, not even moving. Kierkegaard says, and I quote, what an atrocious self-contradiction that the scribe should have all this knowledge and remain totally still this is as, as as bad as if a person knows all about christ and his teachings and his own life expresses the opposite this is as bad as if we celebrate christmas and then we fail to live in a way that reflects christmas God's love, God's forgiveness, God's presence, God's peace, God's joy, God's light. We just stay still. This becomes for me and all of us this first day after Christmas somewhat of a direct challenge, doesn't it? What will our response be to the Savior who comes? We get another chance to answer this question again this year. We get another opportunity to hear the story of the Savior's birth, to think about what it might mean for our lives, what it might mean for our church, what it might mean for our city, what it might mean for our world. Will we just stay still like the scribes? Or will we move like the the Magi with openness, with attentiveness, with worship in our hearts with a purposeful recommitment. And we might even ask a more daring question. Will we respond like Herod with aggressiveness and destruction? We have the capacity to be like Herod also who was fearful and got nasty in his response. And so much of our culture feels so close to violence and destruction. What's our response to the Savior going to be? Here's the real truth. The birth of Jesus is God's supreme gift, God's wonderful effort to free us from selfishness and allow us to discover a life worth living, a purpose worth serving, a hope worth waiting for. When when you think about your life, especially on this day after Christmas, what are you really living for? Are you living to please others or to please God? God gives us life and God calls us always to love God and love others. We can easily be pulled into priorities and purposes that might not very well align with God and God's intention for us and our church and our world. God keeps calling us to best plans, to love God and love others, to work for God's peace and God's light, God's healing, God's hope, God's justice and joy across the city, across the world. Are the things that are getting our attention really worth serving? We have to always be assessing this, evaluating this. Do we live every day with a a hope worth waiting for? Once we celebrate Christmas and move back into the rhythms of our lives, it's so easy to be drawn away from the impact of the story, drawn away from a more appropriate response. So easy to let the whole hum of life, especially in the midst of COVID, in the midst of continuing challenges everywhere, it's easy to be distracted from our response, which, like the Magi, intends to be faithful, attentive, worshipful, committed, serving. How about it? Howard Thurman was a gifted and thoughtful writer and a gifted and thoughtful theologian and he wrote a poem that probably you've heard before and it's called The Work of Christmas and it goes like this. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the king and the princess are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins, to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among all, to make music in the heart. Let's be thinking in these coming days about our response to the story of Christmas. Let's be thinking about what we're living for and how we might, with our lives, be more in line with God's loving purposes in the world. Are our daily endeavors bringing forth the best from us and aligning our lives with God's best plans for worship and service? Are we working for God's broad hopes in the world a world of justice, a world of delight for all people. This is what Christmas calls forth from all of us. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, you love us well. You shower us with your bountiful gifts, especially this Christmas. You keep calling us afresh to respond with our lives and our gifts. By your Spirit, O God, may we taste and see and experience all your Christmas gifts and respond in appropriate ways following Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.